Welcome back to the Rights and Liberties Podcast, where we are discussing the Federalist Papers. Today, we will talk about Federalist 22. I like to orient these discussions around three big ideas for each essay. So, here are three big ideas in Federalist 22. Big Idea 1. The Regulation of Commerce. Federalist 22 as a whole focuses on defects of the Articles of Confederation, continuing this line of discussion from Federalist 21. In Federalist 22, Hamilton argued that one important problem with the Articles of Confederation was its inability to regulate commerce. Big Idea 2 concerns difficulties of raising an army and making war under the Articles of Confederation. Big Idea 3 is about the need, according to Hamilton, to establish a court of national jurisdiction in the USA. Now, in addition to these three big ideas, we will focus on Madison's discussion of republicanism and majoritarianism in the context of the debate over the Constitution, but also with reference to the politics of today and tomorrow. So, beginning with Big Idea 1, and focusing on the deficiencies of the Articles of Confederation, Hamilton zeroed in on the, quote, want of a power to regulate commerce, end quote. Now, the lack of a power to regulate commerce is a problem for the national government, in part, according to Hamilton, because it makes it difficult for the national government to agree on commercial treaties with other countries. The national government can't speak, in this case, for the states uniformly on matters of commerce. This is a problem for foreign policy. It would, of course, also be a problem for domestic policy. Quoting Hamilton again, quote, The interfering and unneighborly regulations of some states contrary to the true spirit of the Union, have, in different instances, given just cause of umbrage and complaint to others, and it is to be feared that examples of this nature, if not restrained by a national control, would be multiplied and extended till they became not less serious sources of animosity and discord than injurious impediments to the intercourse between different parts of the Confederacy." End quote. Big Idea 1 is about commercial regulation. Big Idea 2 is about war and military matters. It was difficult to raise armies under the Articles of Confederation. This made warfighting hard during a period of extreme crisis, and Hamilton had in mind the many difficulties facing those trying to keep an army in the field during the American Revolution when describing the consequences of the approach to military matters regulated by the Articles of Confederation quoting Hamilton here, quote, Hence, slow and scanty levies of men in the most critical emergencies of our affairs, short enlistments at an unparalleled expense, continual fluctuations in the troops, ruinous to their discipline and subjecting the public safety frequently to the perilous crisis of a disbanded army. Hence, also, those oppressive expedients for raising men which were upon several occasions practiced, in which nothing but the enthusiasm of liberty would have induced the people to endure. End quote. This contributed to an additional problem, what we would now call free riding by some states, on the efforts of other states. Quoting Hamilton again, The states near the seat of war, influenced by motives of self-preservation, made efforts to furnish their quotas, which even exceeded their abilities. 
while those at a distance from danger were, for the most part, as remiss as the others were diligent in their exertions. End quote. Hamilton had, in other places, criticized the requisition system for revenue for the central government under the Articles. He saw the problems of military readiness as a still more damaging result of the same system. Big Idea 3 takes up Hamilton's views on what he described as the, quote, want of a judiciary power, end quote, under the Articles of Confederation. He saw as a general rule that countries would establish a court whose rulings would govern all, establishing what he called a, quote, uniform rule of civil justice, end quote. Seeing this as especially necessary in a country such as the USA, they would have courts in each state offering opinions that might vary, one with another. Though important enough for domestic reasons, Hamilton connected this domestic tendency to legal variation among the states to potential problems in foreign affairs, quoting Hamilton on this. The faith, the reputation, the peace of the whole union are thus continually at the mercy of the prejudices, the passions, and the interests of every member of which it is composed. Is it possible that foreign nations can either respect or confide in such a government? Is it possible that the people of America will longer consent to trust their honor, their happiness, their safety on so precarious a foundation? End quote. Turning now to Hamilton's association of republicanism with majoritarianism, Hamilton took this up in Federalist 22 in the context of describing and criticizing the voting procedure articulated by the Articles, in which states voted as equal units. Quote, every idea of proportion and every rule of fair representation conspire to condemn a principle which gives to Rhode Island an equal weight in the scale of power with Massachusetts, or Connecticut, or New York, and to Delaware an equal voice in the national deliberations with Pennsylvania, or Virginia, or North Carolina. Its operation contradicts the fundamental maxim of Republican government, which requires that the sense of the majority should prevail. End quote. Let's stop and put a pin in this point. As we have likely remarked in other podcasts on the Federalist Papers, the term Republican government, of course, small r, Republican government, the term Republican government can lead to a range of definitions. So it is good to point to this part of Federalist 22. The fundamental maximum of Republican government, according to Hamilton, requires that the sense of the majority should prevail. Indeed, he refers a bit later to the, quote, impropriety of an equal vote between the states of the most unequal dimensions and populousness, end quote. And this is in the wider context of a general criticism of the voting procedure of the Articles of Confederation on the grounds that it did not foster majority rule. According to Hamilton, even the apparent supermajoritarian rule for some matters requiring nine states in order to pass a rule would still allow for states not representing a majority of the people in the USA to make a decision. The consequences of this could not be more stark, as Hamilton described them, quoting Hamilton on this, quote, If a pertinacious minority can control the opinion of a majority, respecting the best mode of conducting it, the majority, in order that something may be done, must conform to the views of the minority, and thus the sense of the smaller number will overrule that of the greater, 
and give a tone to the national proceedings. Hence, tedious delays, continual negotiation and intrigue, contemptible compromises of the public good. End quote. Part of the problem on this account is that people often think in terms of preventing bad things from being done, without realizing that this also prevents good things from being done. I'm quoting Hamilton here, quote, It is not difficult to discover that a principle of this kind gives greater scope to foreign corruption, as well as to domestic faction, than that which permits the sense of the majority to decide, though the contrary of this has been presumed. The mistake is preceded from not attending with due care to the mischiefs that may be occasioned by obstructing the progress of government at certain critical seasons, end quote. Notably, in part because of his previous discussion of Republican government, Hamilton was especially alert to the dangers facing officials serving in Republican governments. Quote, in republics, persons elevated from the mass of the community by the suffrages of their fellow citizens to stations of great preeminence and power may find compensations for betraying their trust, which, to any but minds animated and guided by superior virtue, may appear to exceed the proportion of interest they have in the common stock, and to overbalance the obligations of duty. Hence it is that history furnishes us with so many mortifying examples of the prevalency of foreign corruption in Republican governments. End quote. Hamilton closed Federalist 22 by offering his thoughts on the general causes of the problems of the Articles of Confederation, quoting Hamilton on this, quote, It has not a little contributed to the infirmities of the existing federal system, that it never had a ratification by the people, end quote. He stressed the central role of the people a bit later in the same paragraph, quoting him once again, Quote, the fabric of American empire ought to rest on the solid basis of the consent of the people. The streams of national power ought to flow immediately from that pure original fountain of all legitimate authority. End quote. Now, a couple of points about the politics of today and tomorrow related to these points about majoritarianism and republicanism. The first is the extent to which Hamilton's discussion of how decisions are made under the Articles, voting by state, could logically be extended to discussions about how Congress works today, especially in view of the design of the Senate and in view of questions about the benefits and problems of supermajorities more generally. The second is about Hamilton's discussion of majoritarianism. It is true that there are arguments in the Federalist Papers against direct democracy, and that in a country that long excluded enslaved persons, women, and others from the franchise, it is also true that many residents of the USA were not allowed to vote as a matter of practice. But there is a rhetoric of majoritarian government in Federalist 22 that is worthy of attention. Montesquieu described democracy as a form of republican government. Hamilton wasn't quite so direct, but his reference to the, quote, fundamental maxim of Republican government, which requires that the sense of the majority prevail, end quote. Well, that would sound to many like a characterization of democratic government, I think. Then, too, in the final paragraph of Federalist 22, 
the assertion of the importance of a plan for national government subject to ratification by the people, rather than the state legislatures, paired with Hamilton's suggestion that the consent of the people is the source of legitimate authority, each of these contribute to a broadly majoritarian conception of the Republican government that Hamilton envisioned. Thank you for listening to the Rights and Liberties Podcast. For more about the Sunwater Institute, please visit us at sunwater.org.